Hey everybody, this is Pat Francis from the Rock Solid Podcast and you're listening to P.F. Wilson's Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm P.F., this is my tape recorder, and it is episode 12 of the history of synth pop. We are still in the 90s, well, the late 80s into the early 90s, and when we last left you, of course, we were talking about groups that uh, kind of kept the flag flying in, ep- that was episode 11, as well as uh, kind of the split that we saw with electronic music going off either into some sort of dance and what they called house music at the time, or well, I guess they still do, and industrial music, uh, while synth pop was kind of left, uh, no one was interested in listening to it, or making it, or playing it, or anything like that, say for uh, the Pulsars from Chicago. So episode 12, uh, I was going to call, if you can't beat them, join them, and we're going to play mostly groups and artists who did that, and one that I guess didn't really. So we're going to start with uh, a gentleman named Terrence Trent Darby. Now, he was not really involved in the electronic music scene per se, but his producer, Martin Ware, was. Martin Ware was from Heaven 17, and he started doing production work in the late 80s, uh, even though Heaven 17 was still making records. And Terrence Trent Darby, this bit of a strange one here. This was a big hit, the one I'm about to play. It's the song that you know by Terrence Trent Darby. He has since changed his name to, let me see here, Sonata Francesco Matreya, I believe is his name now. And what's odd is, uh, okay, so I have a friend who has a good friend named David Wilde, you might know. I think I'm friends with David Wilde on Facebook. David Wilde's the Brock journalist, you know him from Rolling Stone and multiple liner notes and uh, your CDs and albums. And he is good friends with Terrence Trent Darby, now uh, Senadea Francesco Matreya, as is Martin Ware. And uh, he was on, uh, we'll refer to him as Terrence Trent Darby from this point out because the other name is just too hard to pronounce. And we're going to talk, discuss his work as Terrence Trent Darby. Uh, but he's, they're all good. Martin Ware's still really good friends with him and had him on his podcast. In fact, I recommend the Martin Ware podcast, Electronically Yours. Listen to the Paul Humphreys episode. It was fantastic. I gotta go back and cherry pick some more episodes. Anyway, in 1987, Terrence Trent Darby releases uh, The Hardline, according to Terrence Trent Darby. It produces this big, big smash hit. Uh, and this kind of is an example of how electronics is just being used matter-of-factly in pop tunes. I wasn't really keen on this tune because, it, I, to me, it always gets Bill Haley's Rock Around the Clock stuck in my head because I, he lifts the hook from that, kind of, in a way. But anyway, this is uh, Wishing Well from Terrence Trent Darby, produced by Martin Ware of Heaven 17. Kissing like a bandit, stealing time Underneath the sycamore train Cupid by the awesome valentines To my sweet lover and maid Slowly, but surely Oh, wishing well, a butterfly tail. 
there's Terrence Trent Darby. Like I said, I wasn't really keen on this album. A lot of my friends really dug it. It's fine. Uh, I don't get into Terrence Trent Darby till his fourth album, Vibrator. That has a song called Supermodel Sandwich, which was in the Prada Port soundtrack. That's probably the other song you know by him, if you know any others. But the song I like, well, you might know this third one, which I found out was actually hit. I didn't think it was. It's called Holding On To You from this album. It's incredible. One of my favorite songs of the 90s, at least, if not of all time. Got the 20 in the UK, and that's a fantastic tune. So Thomas Dolby we discussed earlier, and he continues to sort of fly the flag, but he's more of a, in the, if you can't beat him, join him camp in that he uh, helps out other artists who aren't particularly alternative, certainly. He helps Eddie Van Halen build a studio, I guess, and he gets friendly with the Grateful Dead. Uh, those folks appear on his album, Astronauts and Heretics, I believe it's called, released in 1993. And this is a great, great tune called Close But No Cigar. <laughs> No Cigar, uh, guitar work by Eddie Van Halen. I believe uh, the two guys from Grateful Dead, uh, Jerry Garcia and Bob Ware, they appear on this song, I think, and I think they appear elsewhere on the album, certainly. And yeah, Thomas Dolby, uh, still making somewhat electronic music, but of course enlisting the help of, you know, some guitar heroes there uh, to make, I guess, a more, uh, I wouldn't say if it's 90 sounding, but certainly not electronic sounding album, but still being tapped for his, I guess, uh, electronic talents by uh, several artists that you wouldn't expect him to be working with. So uh, one band that uh, doesn't join him is Human League, and in 1993, they released an album called Octopus. No, wait, it's 95 they released this. It features two singles, one of which I think cracks the top 40 here in the U.S. I know that the top 40 station played it here in Cincinnati, and they invited them to one of those party in the park things where they get a couple of... uh, it was very fashionable at the time to bring some 80s bands because you could get them cheap or free. And then this that was the case for Human League. And uh, they released a song called Tell Me When. Like I said, it's uh, I believe it was a top 10 hit in Britain and almost certain it cracked the top 40 here. But they released another single from the song, which is an even better tune. And this is called One Man. Show! 
making electronic music and having some success some success with it certainly now back to the uh, join them category we discussed in the last episode Andy K from uh, Exotic Birds and of course that was a former band of Trent Reznor Trent of course going on to famously uh, have, have uh, do Nine Inch Nails create that and then uh, I guess Andy K goes on to drum for The The, who are known sort of for being an electronic band, not really a lot, uh, but still a great band. And anyway, so I guess the opportunity comes up in the 90s, uh, 93, 94, in there they need a drummer. And Andy decides he's going to audition, and uh, he gets the job. And I remember interviewing Matt Johnson, who really is kind of the sole member of the, the and saying, hey, uh, this is around the, about a year after Andy had joined. He said, hey, I know your drummer. He used to live a couple streets over from me in Lakewood, and I'm kind of friendly with him, Andy. And he goes, oh, yeah, he uh, auditioned for us in Atlanta, really did his homework, and that's how he got the job. So I thought that was kind of fun. So after the, the wraps up, uh, I don't think Matt Johnson tours or makes many records and or may go back to England. I'm not sure what the story is there, but Andy winds up joining Stabbing Westward. It's uh, one of those uh, more sort of industrial acts we discussed. And like I said, I remember sitting in Andy's living room and we were interviewing him uh, when he was in Exotic Birds and he was saying, you know, when uh, when we were in Exotic Birds, we'd had this industrial group using the quotation marks with his finger called Collapse. And uh, we thought it was just a big joke. And I guess Trent, it wasn't a joke to Trent because he went on to form Nine Inch Nails. And I guess at this point, Andy Kay figures, well, you know what? I'm just going to join him. So he joins Stabbing Westward. One of the people, one of the principal songwriters leaves. So he takes over songwriting duties and writes, among other other uh, hits, as it were. This is a song called Shame.
Shame, co-written by Andy Kay and other members of Stabbing Westward from Chicago. Uh, when Stabbing Westward wrap up, uh, oh, they may they may still be together. I'm not actually sure. Andy Kay is no longer in the band, though. He lives in Los Angeles. He does uh, TV and movie soundtracks. You probably know him from Storage Wars, that Western-sounding uh, song about money. That's him. He does all the background music. He's won a lot, tons of awards for his work, too, so glad to see he's doing well. Another couple of folks that decide to uh, join him, we have a kind of a third micro-faction of electronic music in the 90s. New Age, you remember, your Yanni's, you, if you will, Patrick O'Hearn, former member of Missing Persons, and uh, all kinds of folks. There's a show called Echoes on National Public Radio you may be familiar with. It's still popular to this day that plays that kind of music. Well, Tom Bailey and Alana Curry, who are still on Thompson Twins and are still married at this point, decide, you know what? People aren't interested in Thompson Twins records anymore. Let's form a whole new group. Uh, they're living in New Zealand. They uh, find a producer. They form a group called Babel, and they make two albums, and this is pretty indicative of that sound. This is a song called The Sun. Son from Babel, a.k.a. Thompson Twins, uh, not operating as Thompson Twins, uh, being more new-agey, if you will, at the time. And, uh, of course, you know, Tom's come full circle. He's released a solo album, uh, which is, you know, sounds much more Thompson Twins. It sounds like Thompson Twins, where Thompson Twins left off, actually. We played a couple of tracks from that uh, in the past couple of episodes. And then we come to Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. It's the late 90s. Um, Andy McCluskey, he told me this in an interview. He was in a record store, and he picks up a CD by Erasure, who are good friends of his, and he's thinking to himself, geez, do I need another Erasure album? And then he has another thought, wait a minute, what if people are picking up OMD albums and thinking the exact same thing? And he's like, that's it. Uh, uh, he, he throws in the test. It's already 1997, Oasis is huge, Gu guitars are huge, people are interested in keyboards unless it's industrial music or house music, which he's not interested in at all. So he decides he's going to join them, but he's not going to join them with any of this new age stuff or industrial or house music. He's going to go into a different genre that's also very popular at the time. Uh, girl pop, uh, Brit pop, one of the two. 
either acceptable, and forms a group called Atomic Kitten. Interesting story here. I guess these three teenage gals together, he does a, makes a pop group of them. They have a, a number one hit with a song called Whole Again which if you're a soccer fan, you may have heard reworked recently. Uh, they re, the girls re-recorded it, and it's it, uh, football's coming home again because the uh, Euro 2020 Cup hopefully will be returning to England as of this Sunday. And uh, But anyway, so they have a couple of hits, the biggest one, of course, being Hole Again. It's Andy's only number one hit. Does not have a number one hit with her custom maneuvers. Has a number one hit with Atomic Kitten. Uh, and again, the funny part of the story is, is that uh, they say so they become so successful. Now Andy's mixed up with this with I believe his drummer Stuart Kershaw from his, the OMD days without Paul Humphreys, and the group becomes so successful that they fire Andy and Stuart essentially. And there's a lot of bad blood over the years as I've kind of followed the story. And then I saw an interview. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, and he, someone asked about it, and he goes, oh, th- they're great girls, they're like daughters to me, uh, we're very friendly, I talked to them the other day, and I so I researched a little bit, and apparently what happened is, not surprisingly, the record company for either fired Andy and Stuart, or made it look like the girls no longer wanted to work with Stuart and Andy, so I think that's probably what happened there, and makes a lot of sense, but there you have it, uh, Atomic Kitten, I'm not going to play the big hit, I'm going to play my favorite track of theirs, also uh, I believe this is written by, and well, it was definitely written by Andy, probably also co-written by Stuart Kershaw. This is Walking on Water from Atomic Kitten. Atomic Kitten, a little girl pop, a little Brit pop for you there. And that's what uh, Andy McCluskey does for a while until OMD get back together in the 2000s. And we'll discuss that in an upcoming episode. And finally, it's the, uh, the well, we'll go into the early 2000s here. Our, another favorite synth pop band of ours, Book of Love. Uh, no longer in business, but two of the members decide to form a new group and they hire a, uh, a, a singer that they're uh, friendly with. I can't remember the gal's name, but they form a group called the Myrmidons, and as Ted Ottaviano explained on this very program, the uh, Myrmidons were more of a 90s group, still kind of the same influence as Book of Love, 50s and 60s pop, but kind of executed a little differently. This doesn't sound really a lot different than Book of Love, but kind of like with Tom Bailey's solo stuff now, kind of picks up where... Book of Love left off, but since, you know, it's only two of the members, it's not the same group. But uh, this is a song called Clap.
the Myrmidons clap. And, of course, Book of Love end up reforming, sort of. They uh, have a, a big 40th anniversary tour in 2016, which takes them five years to complete because they have other commitments, uh, the four of them. Sometimes just the two of them, not uh, the two that are in the Myrmidons, but Ted and uh, Susan, the lead singer from Book of Love, and sometimes joined by Jade and Lauren. Lauren is the one that's actually in Myrmidons. Very confusing. But anyway, uh, that is the Can't Beat Him, Join Him episode of the history of synthpop we will go into the 2000s in the next episode and we kind of see where electronic music people are starting to make electronic music kind of like they used to we see more actual just bands that isn't uh particularly dance music uh, some of the usual suspects as we call them from the 80s uh, either reform or get back together or finally people are interested in them so we'll uh, explore that in episode 13 of the history of synth pop in the meantime we're up to the song of the week and where do most of my songs of the week come from why yes you're exactly right they come from bbc radio one uh, or occasionally npr but uh, this is a group called maneskin it's spelled m-n-e-s-k-i-n it's kind of an odd spelling they're from Italy. How about that? I haven't, uh, gosh, going through my whole iTunes, I don't think I have any Italian artist. Uh, the closest I have is uh, a fella you may know named Baltimora who isn't Italian at all. He was an Irish fashion model who became a pop star. Uh, we lost him in the 90s or 2000s, uh, I, I think of AIDS-related causes. But anyway, he... Um, was produced by Italians, as all his records were made in Italy. But that's the closest I have to any Italian pop stars in my entire iTunes. But anyway, this is Benesca, and the song is called I Want to Be Your Slave. It's a rocky one, guys. It's a, kind of a palate cleanser for the history of synth pop. So here we are. See what you think. Maneskin, I Want to Be Your Slave, our song of the week on PF Tape Recorder. So long, and thanks for listening. I want to be a slave. I want to be a master. I want to make your heart beat round like roller coasters. I want to be a good Boy, I wanna be a gangster Cause you could be the beauty and I could be the monster I love you since this morning, no, just for aesthetic I wanna touch your body so fucking electric I know you're scared of me, you say that I'm too eccentric I'm crying on my tears and that's fucking pathetic I wanna make you hungry, then I wanna feed ya I wanna paint your face like your mom on a Lisa I wanna be a champion, I wanna be a loser 